delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is on the grid. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1, a massive show coming your way. We're going to get straight into it. First of all, Carl Weidler joins Richard Crowell for an amazing chat. We're going to hear that. And then also our wrap of the weekend with Mark Walker, Richard Crowell and also Tom Archuli from Doric joining us as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. Well, in 2004, a young bloke called Carl Reinler won the Australian Formula 3 Championship, and then he went to Europe on the pathway to Formula 1. His career took a slightly different path, and he raced in supercars and plenty of other categories here and around the world. But in 2022, via a slightly different pathway, he finally made his Formula 1 debut as the Formula 1 medical car driver. I'm delighted to say that Carl joins us on the podcast this week, mate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. I think this chat. It has. Uh, you made your Formula One debut, mate. Congratulations. I remember talking to you. I think you were eighteen in two thousand and four. I was a a young bloke trying to make a career in PR and commentary, and you were doing the same as an open wheel driver. And I know you wanted to get to Formula One back then, and and you went a long way down the road of doing that from a driving point of view, but what was it like lining up on the grid for that first Grand Prix? Not in a Formula One car, but you were still on a Formula One grid and the five lights went out. What was that like? It, it was it was pretty special. Before I get started, if we're talking about um, ambitions to be in Formula One, you also debuted in Formula One uh, commentating that weekend. So I think some, think some uh, congratulations is, uh, is in order for yourself as well. Interesting, we probably met on a, you know, it was probably the start of both of our careers back mm. then. Uh, talking 2004 and uh, effectively day, debuted in a way on, on the same weekend. But, yeah, it was um, it, it was a pretty surreal experience. Um, you know, I, I had to keep it pretty, pretty quiet. Um, I kind of wanted to go under the radar anyway, to be honest. There wasn't a lot of media or the FIA are um, quite particular about um, correspondence that goes out for obvious reasons, being the governing body of the sport. But... Um, yeah, finally on that Sunday afternoon, um, I joked around with a few mates. So I was yeah the second Aussie on the grid, and depending yeah. on if Daniel hit the uh, the grate again, I might actually beat him to turn one. But that was <laughs> that was not uh, not on the cards on uh, on that Sunday, Sunday the tenth of April. Um, yeah, it, what was interesting about the experience was some things that I didn't expect. Um, you, you line up on the grid. You've got, you know, I've got the best view of the five lights because I'm dead centre as opposed to the uh, the F1 cars um, hovering around the left and right of the circuit in their respective grid spots. But uh, once we actually got accelerating, the lights went out. Um, it was this this haziness, this orange haze of dust and like diffusers kicking up all sorts of stuff. And um, the one thing I, I didn't count on was the turbulence that I received following these cars into turn one. Obviously, by the time... I got to turn one, they're already down at turn three, but um, the, uh, the the Aston Martin DBX that I was driving was was shaking around violently mm. before the braking zone. Um, and then it's just a just a hustle. You feel like you're, the expectation when you drive the car for everyone's knowledge is that you are hustling it as hard as you possibly can, um, teetering on the edge of um, 
you know, mechanical failure just about. It's still a road car at the end of the day. Um, and it needs to be treated like a road car, but you are ragging it around the track and the differential in speed between the F1 cars and, and the medical car is, is so great that you actually run a risk if you go too slow that they will lap you on your single lap that you actually do, which is just phenomenal to think about. Um, to put it in perspective, the, the F1 cars, I think we're doing, call it one minute, 20 second lap times around Albert Park, so just a little bit under, I think, with the, uh, with the changes this year. Mm. Um, all of our times are quantified as well, both Ben Mylander and, um, and myself. In, he's obviously in the safety car, I'm in the med car. And I think I did, it was a 2.11, 2 minute 11. So circa you know, 50, just over 50 seconds longer in lap time than the F1 cars. And that's, you know, it's a seriously quick road car. It's, a, it's an Aston Martin that's got that four litre twin turbo motor with God knows how much horsepower and torque. And, you know, it feels fast for most people to jump behind the wheel of that thing. It would feel ridiculously fast. And it just changes your, your thoughts on, on how fast and how much you appreciate how fast the Formula One cars actually go. So yeah, it was a quiet weekend, that one. Um, I had a couple of um, Uber pickups on the track, Lance Stroll twice. <laughs> Couldn't find Vettel. He was off racing uh, scooters around the circuit. Could never catch him. Great. He got into trouble for that, as we know. But um, yeah, it was it was a nice way to ease into it. Obviously, just Formula One that weekend as well. So look, I'm keen to get into sort of the mechanics of how the the weekend works and the processes that you go through for it. But just just take us back to when this opportunity came about and and how did you get the phone call and who picked up the phone and said, "Hey, Carl, we'd like you to come and do some Grand Prix in the medical car." Yeah. So. Good question. And and it actually, the conversations probably first started in 2019. Um, I was talking with Alan Vandermover, who's a very good friend of mine. Uh, he raced one British F3 championship. I can't remember what year, maybe 03, 02, 03, 04, around that, that sort of period. Um, I met him in the UK. Uh, he raced A1GP when I, for, for South Africa when I was uh, in the Australian seat. And uh, he he got the role, he ran into Charlie Whiting at an airport randomly in probably 2008 or 2009. They got chatting and Charlie basically offered him the role and he did every Grand Prix bar one up until the, the, the end of 2020 with, with all the COVID-related things going on. Hmm. Um, the only one that he missed was was actually when uh, when there was a death in the family. So he didn't take a sick day. And, and look at Bert Maylander as well. He's done like 22 seasons now, hasn't taken a single day off. And I guess that's sort of shone a light on uh, the redundancy issues with, with not having um, a backup solution. And... Alan had also started a business and, you know, to do 22, 23 rounds of Formula One year in, year out, there's a compromise. Uh, you know, you're on the road, you're living out of a suitcase most of the year. So Alan first spoke to me and said, hey, um, I've been thinking about this med car role and I would like to take a step back. I still want to be involved, but I need, you know, I want to, I want to know that someone's in the seat that I trust is capable of doing the job has the skill set to do it properly because most people think that you're just driving a car fast around a circuit it's so much more than just you know there's, there's a thousand people that can drive a car mm. fast on a circuit but it's the other skills it's the incident management the common sense um 
awareness of what's going on, um, problem solving ability, good communication skills, has seen it from the other side of the fence, but also has an appreciation for how fast Formula One cars actually are. So someone who's had open wheel, fast open wheel experience. And said, so honestly, I thought of lots and lots of people with the only person that came to mind is, is you. And I, I was flattered, obviously, that he considered me. The next step was actually, how do we go about making it happen? Um, at that time, Massey, Michael Massey had taken over um, as, as race director after uh, Charlie's passing earlier that year. And the plan, Massey, Michael was, was supportive um, of this all happening. I said it was a good idea to have a, a redundancy plan or um, a successor to the, to the role. And yeah, uh, I sat in the car in 2020 at the Australian Grand Prix on the Wednesday um, and on the Thursday, the plan was to actually go to Bahrain the following weekend or two weeks later. And we all know what happened next, Friday the 13th of March. I remember the day clearly, Lock the Grand Prix didn't go ahead and the world changed. Um, I couldn't leave the country. Everyone was just scrambling to figure out what the heck this all means for us all. And I thought the opportunity was, was dead in the water. Uh, well, it was for that year. Uh, I was pretty gutted to get that close and and miss out. And 2021 um, went by as well. And I thought, yeah, this is, it's been two years now. Alan's still there doing it. And then um, the end of the season, we obviously know what happened with, with Michael and his departure. I won't go into that. But um, I thought the race director that was supportive of this happening uh, has now left. Alan's sort of on the fringe. You know, he's, you know, he's walked away from it effectively by choice. Um, leave it at that. And Bruno's in the mix as well. Bruno Carrera, Portuguese driver, who's the Formula E safety car driver as well. Then I, I had an email from Neil Spidich, the uh, the existing the replacement race race director. Um, would have been February, I think, this year saying, hey, I believe that some conversations have been happening with you. Um, you've been working on this for a while and Michael was supportive of it. Um, yeah, would you be interested? And, of course, I put my hand up straight away and said, look, um, let's let's have some conversations about it and see see how it might work. And I'd, I'm an optimistic guy at the best of times, but after having started these conversations in 2019, it's now the start of 2022, I thought I'm going to go into it with an open mind, but, you know, not, I don't want to be, optimistic and be sort of let down or disappointed and and it's all it's all sort of come together um so the australian grand prix made sense bruno did the pre-season testing and the first two rounds in bahrain and saudi we basically sat down um bounced a few emails off each other and worked out what we were available for what we were unavailable for with our pre-existing commitments and um knuckled down and, and somehow the, the season worked out that we had uh, had the rounds covered it was we always said it would be quite um fluid just in case that um you know if, if bruno gets sick i can jump on a plane and come over and mm. and vice versa if i can't make a round that bruno's available to do it as well but um yeah so since the australian grand prix i did baku in azerbaijan which was a mega experience um that's a proper one of my favorite street circuits I've I've driven on. I've driven on a few in my time. And um and obviously the Silverstone Grand Prix um two weeks ago, which was interesting and educational. And um and I'm 
yeah, totally relieved that everyone's okay off the back of some big shunts over that weekend. Yeah, well, we'll come to Silverstone in a minute because you were in the limelight there both for the obvious incident at Turn 1 but for some social media stuff that went viral. <clears throat> but before we, before we get to that, the the your racing career, but you, you've always been quite smart in that you've been very diverse, not just from a driving point of view, but as you mentioned, some of the skills required for this role. You've done event management. You've been involved from a category management point of side, uh, point of view, driver coaching, driver standards, and this year you're driver standards chief for Porsche Motorsport in Australia. So do you think those extra skills that you've built in our sport outside of just twirling the steering wheel, did that put you in a really good position to to be selected for this role? Yeah, I haven't reflected on it um, in too much detail, but when you put it like that, the short answer is absolutely. Um, I've had this this attitude or approach, um, you know, even when I was competing full-time in, in supercars and open wheelers overseas, that if, if there's an opportunity to do something different or, or to try something, I mean, I, I love the sport. We, we're both, you know, this is our sport. We, we mm. live and breathe it. And if there's an opportunity to do something in the sport that's a little bit different, I've never been afraid to to tackle something or try it, and um, it's you might not be you know great at it at first. Um, you know you really are when you try something for the first time, but the more you do it, the more you sort of become this holistic. I don't like using that word thrown around a lot, but this mm. holistic kind of uh, um, you know motorsport all all rounder. So the, the driving part I did for a long time, but even while I was driving. Um, I enjoyed the coaching part. In fact, some of the most rewarding things that I've done over the last 10 years have been coaching or instructing, basically being a, being a teacher of sorts, educating other people, imparting, imparting with knowledge that I've gained over the years. And first opportunity, doing that with customer drive programs is one thing for, for car companies, but but also I did a lot of work with the FIA Um probably 10 years ago and and and, and since since then um done young driver programs the FIA through motorsport australia uh, i've been really lucky i've i've done programs in romania um went to nepal which was a really unique experience they don't actually have a permanent motor racing facility there but to show these people who are just as passionate as you and i are about motorsport that it, you don't need a permanent circuit you don't even need a proper race car to enjoy the sport there's ways that you can go about it and ways that you can do it safely mm. there's a big message on on safety and we provided the tools to these guys to go and pursue the sport that they love and and that was that was kick-ass it was so good to go to nepal romania sri lanka as well we did a great program in sri lanka on an airfield it was a i was going to say an unused airfield but i'm pretty sure i remember planes coming in that we had to get off the, the airfield for cool. we had to cease our competition now faux competition that we were running yeah and um then then get back on with it but every country that we went to presented its own unique challenges and problems that we we had to kind of work around as well to to show these people how how best to handle it so you're, you're thinking thinking outside the square um at every stage we did we did three years in a row in south korea um which is a you know very modern and progressive country it's different challenges there because the language barrier is, is um, you know, there's not a lot of people that speak good English. Um, they, they get by, but when you're in a car coaching someone or acting as the engineer on a race team, 
English sort of has become the universal language in, in motorsport. Mm. And um, one thing you learn is that language is more than the words that you use. It's it's the body language, the tone that you talk in. And um, you start to reflect on your own experiences when, you, when you're teaching and educating. So it's, it's rewarding in so many different ways. So, yeah, those programs were great. Then the DSA or driving standards roles came about with... Um, with F4 initially, GT Championship, done some stuff with Trans Am, Bathurst 12-hour one year, um, Carrera Cup this year, Sprint Challenge with Porsche as well. And I'm sure there's others I've forgotten. I've done a lot of driving standards roles and every category mm. presents its own unique challenges, which we were talking about uh, earlier. And um, throughout all of that, all these unique experiences, driving standards, category management, well, I did, did a bit of stuff with, with Radical Australia for a while. Um, I was a high-performance manager for Motorsport Australia in, in 2013 and 2014, where I actually got to meet a lot of the current young V8 supercar drivers. I'd done a t- basically created an entire talent identification program for motorsport. And um, I was looking at kids in karting, like the likes of Will Brown and Anton that mm. are um, – and Tom Randall as well, kicking goals in supercars. Oscar Piastri is one of the kids we identified at the time. Cool. And I feel like every one of these kids, just about every one of them, including Rally, has mm-hmm. all gone on to be quite successful in their in their sport. Um, I'm not by no means staking claim to, you know, they were talented in the first place. We gave them a few tools. We worked with psychologists, with, with some media people, and um, it was a fun program to be part of. But... <clears throat> this is a really long-winded way of saying, yes, everything that I've done in motorsport has kind of led to this role. But I think the one big turning point was the accident that I had at Barbagallo in 2011 because that, as a driver, <clears throat> you, you really do feel untouchable or invincible when you're in the car. You, are, you really have no idea about the actual repercussions uh, or consequences of of a big big mistake um or just any accident in general sometimes it's not your not your fault yeah um and nor should you if you're a professional driver the last thing you want to be doing is considering um you know if you're going to get hurt and it doesn't matter what sport it is you think you know Usain Bolt ever is concerned about you know doing his Achilles or something like that when he's doing 100 meter sprints and as a professional athlete it's the last thing on your mind and obviously that big accident I had 11 years ago um, got me thinking about these things Um, I did another season after it I had some good results you know some top five results I think qualified fifth at Queensland Raceway later that year so I was able to get back on the horse and perform you know what I felt was 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 a reason you know reasonable performance but I started shifting my philosophy and, you know, most drivers I get think of, uh, get pretty slack at times, you know, whether they don't put on all of their fireproof um, underwear or maybe they'll leave their visor open and I became a lot more diligent mm. off the back of that with, and, and you know, uh, I think there's a real routine with with getting prepared to get, get in a car off the back of that. So, um, yeah, and then I started doing some some talks on uh, on safety and sitting on panels for that, talking about safety in the sport. And obviously, our sport improves; it gets better when things like that happen. Um, car of the future. They shifted the, the fuel cell in front of 
um, the axle effectively uh, instead of in the, the boot of the car where it's more vulnerable to a rear end impact like I had. So it's it's just it's just cool to be along to be part of this process and along for the ride and seeing the improvements in safety and knowing that you've had some influence over it along the way mm. and trying to get club level motorsport to you know see the light and make sure they're wearing you know head and neck devices as well and um just wearing the appropriate gear we always joke around you can't put a price on your head so you know buy a decent helmet it, the same applies with everything um you know safety related in motorsport yeah, hundred percent. No, well said. And yeah, the the young talent thing. I, I can understand what you're saying there. When when you see those young drivers come through and you play even a small role in it, you always from that point, I think, feel a little bit of ownership in what they go on to do. And and we've talked on this podcast in the last few weeks with news uh, about that with Matt Campbell. Uh, yeah, and, and those that have been on that journey. Um, whether they're invested financially or not, or just from an, uh, an emotional attachment point of view, because you've known the kid or kids coming through the ranks that, that you always closely follow what they're doing. And I love that. I, I think that's a fantastic part of our sport. So you can resonate with what they've, what they're achieving and, and what they're doing as well. And, and it was the same mate, when you were, when you went over to British formula three and then a one GP and things like that, which was really cool. Um, what walk me through a Grand Prix weekend for the medical car driver? What what's the process you go through, and just uh, give us a bit of a, a brief rundown on how the weekends play out for you? Yeah, look, Australia was a, a unique one because I was also in the driving standards advisor role for um, Carrera Cup that weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, so so Baku was probably the first ex- proper like true experience of of a of a proper Formula One weekend. And, and there happened to be F2 there as well. So firstly, in the medical car and the safety car, we service F1, F2 and F3. Sometimes uh, you'll have a quiet weekend and it's just F1. Um, I had a nice progression towards all three at Silverstone. So Australian Grand Prix was just F1. I had the double of F1, F2 at Baku, and then I had all three at Silverstone. So my weekends have been getting progressively busier. Mm. Um for a lot of their different reasons. But to Baku, you, you typically arrive um, the day before you're expected to be on track. So it, it Wednesday, you they, they fly you across the world, uh, they look after you, and you arrive, you're expected to get organised, uh, you know, take a lot of initiative yourself, um, get yourself, yeah, Quite often it's me that's arranging my own flights through the FIA travel agency as well. Mm. So you you find your own way there. Um, you're expected to be there. They don't ask questions. They don't hold your hands, which is the way it should be, to be honest. Mm. So the Wednesdays sort of just settling in to a different country, a different environment, um, getting over any jet lag you might have. Um, for me, that's when, you know, a bit of research starts before the weekend. I'd never been to the Baku circuit and there wasn't a lot of onboard footage available online but i managed to find some some footage because we don't get much time on track and we're expected to be out there and on it immediately they treat you like a professional driver you know any v8 supercar driver you go to a new circuit the expectation is that you're on it straight out the gate it's no different for us so i um i went out for a run around the circuit being a street circuit it was available uh that afternoon 
Uh, met up with a few people, had a few conversations. Um, uh, relationships are obviously pretty important in, in any team environment. And it's the same with the FIA, not only with the FIA, but the team that actually supports the medical car. For, for that weekend, it was the Aston Martin team. These are guys that work at the factory in Gaydon in the UK. And they are the, the privileged ones, I guess, in a way, that get to travel with, with the medical car and support it and look after it. So got got to spend a bit of time with those guys, um, trying to understand what challenges we might be facing over a weekend, um, whether there's any, you know, what the tyre situation is that we have, um, whether there's any brakes that needed to be bedded in, things like that. So I just want to get organised on the Wednesday and and get comfortable with the um, with the environment. Um, there's a team meeting that starts on the Thursday morning. It's every single morning with the FIA. So every everyone that has influence over Formula One, whether it's technical, operational, um, just general management, the race directors, the medical side of things, will be on this Zoom call. And we just walk through, you know, the weekend, what it's going to look like. Um, it's usually not much to talk about. Um, if, if it's the same, the same pre-brief stuff you do as a race team <clears throat> as well. Exactly. Mm. It's it's a pre-briefing. It's very much like a race team um, where, yeah, the relationships, um, the different stakeholders involved, what you're trying to achieve, um, management, strategy, all that sort of stuff that you talk about is, is discussed in these meetings. And then um, Bernd and I get in our practice session all to ourselves on the Thursday of every Grand Prix, which is cool. It's part of the job, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's, but it's it's an important, and I, I really mean this, it really is an important part of mm. getting acquainted, reacquainted with the vehicle, pushing the vehicle. You have to rag that vehicle to almost breaking point to understand you think about you think about an Aston Martin or a Mercedes AMG that the cost of, of putting these cars on the you know in the limelight where there's a I don't know a billion people around the world watching it would be catastrophic if there were were to be a car failure for for some for some reason it could be a fifty cent part for all you know but if something were to fail on the car when the Formula One's on track so this is not televised this session yep. we have two vehicles each there's two med cars two safety cars. And we go out there and part of it's um, simulation for race control. It's comms checks around the circuit. So the first part of it's just checking, making sure everything's working the way that it absolutely should. We have both master radio and backup radio. So we have to check both radios every single corner, exactly like you do in a race team yep. the first time you go to a circuit for Friday morning practice. So there's actually a lot of common ground between what you do in a professional racing team. Um, you go through the simulation stuff. Um, it could be a safety car simulation or um, a boarded start simulation in this in this practice session. And at this stage, Ian, the uh, Dr. Ian Roberts, who's yep. at every single Grand Prix, is beside me. He does a lot of the communicating. Um, everything he says, I hear, of course, and, and likewise. It's basically an open mic situation between the two of us. And and this car, both cars, have all of the medical equipment in it as it's going to be run over the course of the weekend as well. So it's it's a true representation of how it's going to handle, how it's mm. going to feel over the weekend. The problem is, 
At Bakun, it's a street circuit and we're the first ones out there and it's disgustingly <laughs> dirty, despite the, the track sweepers and everything. Yeah. Talk about progression in a street circuit over the course of a weekend. Well, we were literally the first ones out there and um, it was it was filthy. So um, It's like that, that get, Friday, Friday morning, 8 a.m. support category at the Adelaide 500. Pretty, yeah. yeah, I've been there before, mate. Yeah, it's, I know. <laughs> it's like that. So, yeah. And then I'll typically drop Ian off. Uh, he doesn't need to be there any longer than he needs to. And then really it's a, it's a session for me to experiment, mm. to play around, try using this curb, that curb, you know, finding breaking points, you know, take finding shortcuts. The, the only difference between what I've done previously in a, in a supercar team is that I not only need to know the circuit from a performance point of view, but I need to know all of the roads around the circuit and through the circuit. Albert Park was easy. There's a bloody lake in the middle, so yes. you can't you can't cut across the lake. Although I consider consider the blow up bridge um, from time <laughs> to time. Um, the Baku being a street circuit, there's some really interesting little shortcuts. And if there's a track blockage, which we've seen before at Baku, mm. you need to find an alternative way to get to a certain location. So you need to be really confident with the coverage of the circuit and, and how to get there. So we practice things, these things. And every circuit you go to, the med center is a bit different and the management of the med center is a bit different. So we will do a practice run. We'll just show up at the doorstep unannounced to see how they behave. And we've there have been times where we've arrived and the security guards, despite, you know, medical car on the bonnet, flashing lights, a couple of blokes in race suits, they go, where's your hard card? You're not allowed in without your hard card. And oh. and it's an education. Yeah. Um, so every circuit presents its own unique challenges. So that's why we that's that the ideal, you know, the idea behind that session. We'll, we'll pay a visit to the med center, surprise them. And you kind of want to practice that. Even at Silverstone, um, there's a cut through between, oh, it must be turn turn five, I think it is. Turn five cuts straight through to Maggots Beckett's chicane, basically. The but there's national a national circuit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's two gates that need to be opened. The first time you go through there, they're not expecting you. Mm. But then the second time you go through, they're ready. And then by the time you get to race day on Sunday, they can see you coming and they yep. open it automatically. And that's kind of what you want to ingrain in um in the staff around the circuit. So yeah, um, that's that's Thursday. <laughs> um and then um, Friday, we're on track. So every morning, we do a safety car simulation. Um, we go out on track, usually pretty early. Um, Bert and I go out. I pretend to be the lead car, try to keep up with him, which is impossible. Um, <laughs> he can hustle the car around, and his car's a bit quicker than mine. And uh, for me personally, in the med car, every session we're at on location. It's not always pit exit. Sometimes it's in another location. Um the engine idles for the entire practice session, uh, qualifying session and race. We sit in position, belts on, helmet on, mic'd, mic'd up on the, on the radio with our systems in place and we are ready to literally hit the lights, put it into drive and, and get to the scene of an incident. So they try to simplify the communication if there is an incident. Um, there's, a, there's, an, there's a command and then a location basically yeah. and then maybe as you're going along you might get a bit of additional information which helps paint a picture for when you actually get to the scene because quite often you come around a corner and 
and you really don't know what to expect. Um, we had a big crash in qualifying uh, the Australian Grand Prix. Um, Latifi and Stroll, the two Canadians, run into each other. I was told turn five, but the impact happened at turn five, but the momentum that they carried, the car wasn't, it was down at turn six. Mm. So I've come around the corner at turn five. I could see carbon fibre everywhere, but I couldn't see the car because it was another 250 metres down the road. So you've, you've got to be, you have heightened awareness um, with those situations and you've got to think quickly. Um, you've got to be decisive and you've got to be accurate the first time. You're, even something as simple as, you know, not many people think, well, if you're going to go to the scene of an incident, where do you park your medical car? Yeah. And, and every incident's different depending on what you see, how many vehicles are involved, who caught the hit. Uh, we get a lot of information streamed to us about the incidents themselves live, um, which helps paint a picture. But, um, yeah, for that particular one, I'm, I've got to look after my own car. I can't afford to have a carbon a shard of carbon fibre puncture my tyre when I've got to get to the med centre with a driver that's, you know, in need of, um, of attention. So I'm... Um, that incident, incident, I'm sort of negotiating my way through the carbon fibre minefield. Pull up. I could see the driver moving. That's the first thing I look at, is the driver moving? I parked up in a position that the doctors can get out quickly and promptly. Um, but I'd imagine, touch wood, I never never come across a fire, but fires are known to happen in the mm. sport. If there was fire, you, you want to be close enough that you can access it, but not too close that you're compromising your car and yourself. Um, the car that we are in acts as a, a buffer to protect against the scene as well. So all these things are going through your head. And honestly, it reminds me of, of driving a race car in a race where you're managing tyres, you're managing strategy, you're attacking, you're defending, you're managing the car, you're thinking, how's my the behaviour of my car going to be in three laps time? Um, maybe I need to tweak the roll bar or adjust the brake balance so that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm one step ahead of it. And you're trying to think in the same way when you drive this car around the track. It's, um, it's interesting. And every single time I'm in that car, I feel like I'm, I'm picking up new things and learning. Um, not that we've made, made mistakes along the way. Every incident I've been to, you know, we've made the right decisions uh, at the time. And, but you think, well, maybe... You know, what about this or what about that? Or what if what if the crash was different? How would we approach it differently? And you're always trying to think. And I, I really miss the intensity of what I miss about competitive motorsport. I'm actually getting a similar sort of feel from driving this car around. Cool. That the intensity is is what I miss. Um, driving cars fast around circuits, good fun, but it's the intensity that I actually miss. And I'm ticking those boxes in this role. I want to talk about Silverstone before we wrap this up and really appreciative of your generous time. Uh, first thing about Silverstone, did you ever expect to go viral in this role? Because that's what happened to you there when the official Formula One social media accounts tweeted tw uh, all the various TikToked, Instagram lived, all these things, uh, a vision of the Aston Martin you're driving doing a good impression of a supercar on the curbs at the Gold Coast, <laughs> two-wheeling at Silverstone. It went absolutely viral, millions of views around the world. And, and that was what you were talking about before with you going out and getting practice and nailing yeah. those curbs. But was it a surprise to see how crazy that went? Uh, I was shocked. Um, I, I, I'm, doing it I'm doing this role. I think it's important to mention this. I am doing this role because I, I feel like 
it's an important role. I feel like I've got value um, and, and insight to give to this role. I want to improve the sport for the better if there's a platform and opportunity to do that, which I think this is. I wanted to do all of that under the radar where possible. Yeah. And then, as you say, <laughs> F1 um, decided to post a picture of me two-wheeling it like the back, back chicane at the Gold Coast in the Aston. Uh, and, again, that was everything I do on track. Um, I've mentioned this to a couple of people, is considered and deliberate. Mm. And that was also considered and deliberate. Um, and it was multiple times that I did it as well, not just once. Um yeah, I don't know how many views it had. It's like up around 12 million uh, independent uh, views on Instagram at the moment. But, yeah, I, I, I had fun. you got to enjoy it. I think if, if you're not enjoying something, you, you probably should be reconsidering it. And I'm, I'm certainly enjoying driving that car around there. And that particular moment was was a heck of a lot of fun as well. Um, there's a big crowd through that the Bale chicane as well. I, I, um, I reckon they enjoyed it too. But the thing handled it beautifully. I, yeah. It's funny, you read a few of the comments online. There's a lot of people saying, wow, you know, what an amazing vehicle, how capable it is, and some you know, some incredible driving. The other end of the spectrum, you've got people saying, oh, it's, it's really unsafe and it's dangerous. And, and it's, I find it fascinating that people could even consider that. For me personally, it's no different to, to sliding a car or mm. you know, finding the edge of what you can push or how you can push a car and... Um, yeah, for, for me there it was is yeah. Can I what can I get away with here? Um, is it the fast? Firstly, is it the fastest way through the corner? Can I get away with it? And and is it something I want to continue doing when I'm out here doing these practice runs? And um, yeah, it got up there on two wheels. It was actually a really smooth transition in the car. The doctors yeah. barely blinked in the car. I had both doctors, the Ian beside me and Paul, the local doctor in the rear. Um, yeah, everyone enjoyed it. There was no, I don't know, it was, it was harmless from my perspective. I had a good time, as I said. Yeah, it, it looked great. And and no one that knows you especially would have ever thought that you were going out there just to get Carl Reiner in the news. But no, um, no the, the old Aston looks like it's got pretty good ride control. If anything, it's a good ad for the brand and the DBX especially for a, for a, a, a soft it's, soft rider. It's, it's unreal, that car. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't talk more highly of it. It's got a lot of equipment on board as well. We've probably got three, 250, 300 kilos of medical equipment, jaws of life, extinguishers in the boot, um, all the software for communication, the light system, roll cage, and then three people in it. You're probably talking, if the, if the standard car is 2.2, 2.3, it's probably 2.6, 2.7 tonnes worth of car. You wouldn't know it. It feels like it handles remarkably well. The braking ability is one of the best cars I've, I've had, road cars, mm. as far as braking ability. And um, and the way it handles the curves is even better. Yeah. <laughs> there might be some supercar teams looking into what dampers it's using for the when we go back to the Gold Coast this year. Uh, last one, and, and I appreciate if there's parts of the what went on at Silverstone you can't talk about, but just, just run us through that because, I mean, it's one of the biggest Formula 1 incidences in recent memory and i think it speaks volume for the sport that both drivers were on the grid last weekend as we talk in austria and racing and and competing and having a a reasonable weekend especially if you're you're alex albon who had a a monstrous crash but from your perspective what was that whole that whole process of turn one and that start and and Albon's crash, which was huge, but you know, Joe's looked worse, but was probably actually of, of the two crashes the least severe from a from a driver point of view. 
Yeah, I, it was really interesting because what looked like the worst worst of the accidents was in actual fact probably the the, the easier one uh, from an injury point of view. And we've seen that a lot in the sport, I think, as well. And I, I think I spoke to you on the weekend in Townsville about um, Fabian Coulthard's accident at Bathurst. That yeah. was one of the most spectacular accidents the sport's seen. We, I don't know how many times he'll, he'll probably know. He rolled it five or six times at the chase, the fastest corner, the fastest track in the country. And there was not a single bit of bodywork that was left on that car. But the, the thing is with the rollover is it slowly dissipates energy you're probably getting dizzy your brain's getting rattled around in the car but um if you could choose between a a high speed rollover or a sudden impact you'd pick a rollover every day of the week for that slow dissipation um effect and that's kind of what we saw and um there was an f2 accident earlier that day um with, with Roy and Nassani and I think it was Hauger in the Red Bull car. And we get information streamed to our car. I've already mentioned that. The F2 accident, the one that actually needed uh, medical attention uh, more of the two drivers was not the one that actually recorded the heavy impact Yeah. by nature. of It was just a quirky incident. So that got me thinking, well, the information that we have is only indicative in the first place. Likewise, if you talk about the Formula One accident on on the Sunday afternoon, firstly, I mentioned the word surreal with my first F1 start. This was also, again, not to you know reuse the word, but it was surreal in a different way. I've been in my fair share of shunts. Um, I've witnessed a lot of them, but it's just an absolute higher intensity when it's Formula One. The speed that things ha- these things happen. I'm racing down towards Turn One. I'm probably I don't know 150 meters behind the final car when it all started to happen and yeah it, it, it kind of feels like sl- slow motion in a way mm-hmm. i remember it very clearly but i remember a bit of dust over to the left someone dropped a wheel i'm not sure who dropped a wheel and then i saw a car fly across uh the track quite aggressively which would have been george um george into joe yep and then next minute the car's on its side and then it's it's upside down being dragged um, all the way along the track. I could see the sparks. I could see tyre smoke from people locking up brakes literally right in front of me. I remember Ian beside me. The only words he said were, oh, shit. Yes. Uh, but in the most dramatic, serious kind of way, we I was like, I'd far out. I don't know what we're about to get into, but it's about to get serious. He's loosened his belt in anticipation to get out of the car quickly. By the time we got to the scene, he'd already transferred his radio from the car to his portable one so he could take action. He jumped out and the information that came through on our screen without, I won't go into the numbers. Um, There's probably some some, um, cloak of secrecy or protection around the numbers, but the only hit that was recorded was uh, was Alex Albin. It was interesting because I didn't even see Alex hit the wall. I was so focused on the rollover and what was going on on the left part of the track. Um, so we had to go by the information that we had. He was the only one of those three drivers that recorded a hit above a certain threshold. So both doctors jumped out. I was asked to stay in the car um, at that point. So I waited there patiently, potentially to take a driver straight to the med centre. Um, it was the best use of my time to stay there. Um, Alex was conscious at this point. He was conscious all the way through. Um, 
Sir Paul, the other doctor, went to George. Um, George was getting out of the car and then both George and Paul raced over to Joe, who was obviously the other side of the fence. I think at this stage, the marshals from the flag post at Turn 1 had got to him. The extrication team was just arriving on the scene, knowing that there was probably the, uh, an extrication to take place. Mm. Um, I was left with the job of looking after Alex, who had had a pretty big hit and wasn't feeling himself, let's just say. Um, so I'd changed over radios by this stage, moved the med car closer to the edge of the the, circ- to, to the gravel trap just in case they needed the jaws of life or the extinguishers that were in the boot. I opened up the boot and basically made the conscious decision not to go and interrupt what was going on with Joe. I figured I'm just going to get in the way. There's a team of people there to do it. It'd be easier to have a sticky beak, but I was asked to stay with Alex and that's what I did. And I was obviously on the comms to race control at the same time, just keeping them in the loop of what was what was actually going on because Ian was a bit caught up. Um, mm. Next minute, you know, they've got flatbeds arriving on the scene. You've got um, you know, the big Manitous to, to bring the drag the cars out. Um, there's ambulance arriving on the scene. And it's that's where I kind of step in in the role in managing the other vehicles, the ancillary vehicles that arrive so they don't interfere with, with the medical side of things, which is obviously the, the utmost importance. So I organised an ambulance for um, for Alex. He went to the med centre. George was okay. He was just trying to negotiate getting back on the grid, I think. Yes, that he stage. was. Yeah. Poor bloke. And then, um, yeah, Joe obviously ended up um, out, of, out of the car, which is amazing. Uh, we've all seen the images and how harrowing it was, mm. um, how confined and how long he was in there for as well. Um, but every accident shines a light on, on something. And, and I think there's some, some interesting learnings that we can all take moving forward from it. Um, yeah, uh, some considerations, obviously the catch fence and the, the tire bundle, maybe there's something different that could be done moving forward with that. Um, but, but for the most part, the best thing about being in this sport is that that constant strive to be better with with safety as well as performance and um i've no doubt that off the back of that there'll be some some recommendations put forward in it in the end we went to the med center uh we joe was obviously dropped off alex is already there we went back to uh back to pit lane um was able to take a breath and sort of digest what just happened and then did had to do it all over again a full restart standing start um there wasn't much left of the tires on the Aston at this stage <laughs> after that many laps and um yeah um we had the rest of the race clean and safe and it was a good chance to have a conversation with Paul and Ian and just have some, some yeah some honest honest conversations about what took place and mm. you know what we might have done differently next time but but we all supported each other and we felt that we made good decisions along the way. So I never thought for a second that my my third Grand Prix in the role, I I would be, you know, uh, I would I'd be I'd be you know going into turn one into into that. I think if you do it for long enough, inevitably um, you're going to see something. But yeah, three in. Um, but I tell you what, I'm knowing that everyone's okay now. I'm actually really really grateful for that opportunity because it's it's sort of. There's a lot of things I've considered. I've written a lot of notes down. I had a very long flight back from London on yeah. Monday morning to to go through it all. And um, you know, you're always that's the thing that professional driver is is still in me in that that constant desire to be better. And um, yeah, 
it's nice to be able to apply all those skills into this role. Carl, this has been a fascinating insight. Last one, uh, what races are next and, and what's to come for the remainder of the year from, from this role in particular for you? Um, yeah, the next one for me is French Grand Prix. It's a short turnaround. That's uh, next weekend. Um, looking forward to that one in the AMG for the first time that weekend. Uh, it's a circuit I've been to before. I know it reasonably well, although it's, confused, it's confusing for, uh, for F1 drivers as it is, as it is for anyone, mm. um, that, the layout of that circuit. Um, Singapore Grand Prix on the cards and, and probably Abu Dhabi at the end of the year. But, again, it's all sort of fluid at the moment. Um, outside of that, continuing the, uh, the role with, with Porsche Cars Australia, which, uh, which I love. Uh, it's a brand I've, I've worked with a lot in the past and have a lot of time for and, and just love working with, with the team, the team there at Porsche Cars Australia. And, um, yeah, I've started a business late last year working in the automotive industry and continuing to, um, to run programs, um, yeah, drive programs effectively for, for the auto, automotive industry. So, yeah, um, some other DSA roles. I, I seem to bite off more than I can choose sometimes, <laughs> but that's what I've always done and I somehow find a way of making it work. It sounds like the Car Ryan life first met in 2004 when you won the Australian Formula 3 Championship. Uh, mate, thank you. We could talk for hours. Um, there are a thousand questions about Carrera Cup and whatever it was that went on in Townsville last weekend, but we'll save those for another time. Appreciate it. Congratulations. And, and in all seriousness, it's so cool to see another Aussie on the grid. And, and I remember probably not so much Albert Park, but certainly Baku, when we're all sitting there and we had the, the group chat going and everyone was going, oh, look, there's Carl. We can see Carl at the back of the grid. There, <laughs> there's so many people in our game here that are proud of what you've achieved, mate. So well done. Thanks for the insight. Really fascinating. Uh, and look forward to seeing you when you get back from Paul Ricard. We'll be at the bend for uh, the next round of Carrera Cup. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. There's Carl Reinler joining us here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next. On the grid. All right, time to wrap up the show with uh, the quad. I think they call us Richard Crail. Great chat there with Carl Reimler. Well done. Thank you. Uh, if they don't call us the quad already, they will now, Shebex. Yes. I think you've coined it. No, uh, Carl's a great story. Um, really cool. I, I first met Carl in 2004 when he was driving in Australian Formula 3. Yep. And uh, he and I both had ambitions to be on the Formula 1 grid, and we both in different roles, obviously, him as a driver. Uh, and we both fulfilled that at the Grand Prix this year in Melbourne, some yeah. 18 years later. So a really cool little moment. And, uh, yeah, a really interesting chat in his role with the FIA and Formula One and what he's doing is uh, is really exciting and, and cool to see another Aussie doing cool things in our sport on an international level. Speaking of cool Aussies, Mark Walker, good day to you. Where are they? <laughs> the next one, the next guy is. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tom Archuli, direct guy, hello to you. Hey, Shabax. Hey, boys. How are we today? Good, good, good. Well, four of us are on today. Only three of us were in Townsville. Mm. Sorry, sorry, Shabax. Are you okay? <laughs> exactly. Uh, How'd you enjoy, boys? Good time? Yeah, good weekend. Uh, pretty exciting at times, frustrating at others, chaotic at others as well. But it certainly, uh, I think it delivered a lot of what we were looking for in many respects from a supercars point of view. And the supports were up and down as they always are, but broadly very competitive racing across the weekend. Weather was outstanding. Cool nights, warm days, exactly what you like. 
crowd was very good. I think that's the biggest Townsville crowd, at least certainly COVID times, but but probably five years, if not more. Haven't been to all of them since then. And um, yeah, really good, solid weekend of racing. And uh, even though the supercars result was very much more of the same, I think there was a lot to take out of it that, that we can really enjoy that sets the scene for the second half of the season yet to come. How was life uh, in the top of pit lane there, Tom? Crazy. It was actually pretty good. Um, I think you know, we did Darwin and then going to Townsville, it's pretty hard to top doing those two events back to back. And I think we talked about Darwin being an event you have to go to. I think Townsville is one of those as well. They've mm. done a lot of work uh, up there since 2019, since I was last up there after COVID time. So they've done some great work around the back of the circuit where the spectator views are around that far section. They've um, added some, some walkways and some grass areas. So you have some great views of possibly one of the best GA spots in Australia to see those cars go through those fast sections and, and jump the curbs. And you get that all for the price of a GA ticket and you can walk from the city to the track um, without having to hire a car. So mm. a great great one to get onto your, to your bucket list of venues to go to watch supercar racing at. It was the return of the concerts as well. It's something that hasn't happened in recent times. And I, I think the Saturday crowd looked better than the Sunday crowd, to be mm. brutally honest with you. And I think a fair bit of that had to do with the Hilltop Hoods playing. And we even saw, like, we were walking out of the track pretty late on Saturday night and there were still punters uh, streaming in just for the concert side of things. I mean, a few of them were under the under the fence. I mean, we're not going to give the game away <laughs> which <laughs> fence to jump, but... Uh... We did actually see that. <laughs> so, all right, good idea. There, You're putting there, an effort there, in at least. There is starting to become a group of bands now that have become like supercar bands. Mm. They're just regular guys that you just pull out every now and then. And Hilltop Hills are definitely one of them. I think they've been to at least five or six supercar events. And it was yeah. packed. It was packed in there, boys. I was in there uh, about 20 rows deep, and it was uh, – I, 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 Hilltop- I know one Hilltop Hood song, so that was the one at the end, but that was uh, an hour and 10 minutes I waited for it. But <laughs> it was uh, it was good fun. They um, – God, they, uh, the boys had a, had a dig, and everyone in the in the crowd was were getting into it. And it's uh, biggest crowd. I reckon there was probably seven, ten thousand people in that little in that little um, tenant area. So not bad for a concert for those boys. Yeah, mm. well, very very good. Uh, anything else before we get into racing? Well, just to Tom's point on on the circuit, I completely endorse that. And and I was lucky enough to go up there last year for the first of the back to back. Head uh, double header event, and they'd only just put in all of that new infrastructure around the back of the circuit, which came off the back of them building the stadium. So they, the Queensland government, tipped a, a whole heap of money into building the stadium. But part of the deal with the stadium was that all the access had to be improved as well, and the car parks that are in the precinct for the street circuit are used for park and walk or park and ride for the footy games at the football stadium, which is why they built that cool pedestrian bridge over the train tracks, which is why all the pathways have been improved. But they're very, very good. But your point about the spectating there, it, it is genuinely the best street circuit in this country from a GA point of view. And over the years, the grandstands have sort of disappeared there that they started with in 09, but you really don't need them because it's so well accommodated to put yourself on a hill, sit back, deck chair, you know, get the esky out, have a few drinks, enjoy the day's racing. It's really well set up for that and a very good circuit for it, much like a, a traditional road course. So I, I think that's what makes it so appealing. Hmm. Yes, it does. Uh, the racing was appealing as well. Hmm. Uh, SVG, winner of both races, uh, didn't come out with a, 
a fully straight car at the end of race two. Got a nice little bump towards the end, but otherwise they had a fairly faultless weekend, didn't they, Triple well, Yeah, look, they did. Look, we, we've talked so much about Shane this year. I'm more keen to talk about that final corner because is that the best moment of the season so far? Discuss. Yeah. Yes. I think the good thing about it was was you could see it was going to happen 300 metres out. Yeah. You knew exactly what was going to happen. There's been some footage posted from the spectator hill someone shot on their phone, and the reaction from the crowd on the hill and the main straight was exactly the same as the reaction in the media centre. Yeah. It was like, yo, Like, no one cared. No one's got a, a person in the battle. It was just great to see two guys absolutely having a red-hot crack. I mean, Anton in hot... Oh, the move probably wasn't on from where he was positioned no. and where he was angled. If he was sort of angled over towards the apex a bit, he might have been able to rifle it right in there and, and sort of smoked him out of the way and carried through and, and legitimately got the win. You know, there was the chance that he was going to knock the axle out of either of the cars, both of the cars, neither of them finished, one of them finished. Anything could have happened, but it was just awesome to see that, hey, there was a door left wide open. Why not have a crack? Well, at least... You know, don't die trying. I love the theatrics after it too. Uh, Van Giz with the shun in victory lane. He's good at those uh, post-race shenanigans like the parking Scotty in at Hook and Coe that time. A bit of banter, a bit of niggle. Who cares? It's uh, mm. it's good for the sport that um, you got some big names up there having a having a decent goal of it. And it's good to see that Anton was in the conversation after 250Ks as well. Yeah, it really was... Um... That, that last corner was something that we've been waiting to see all season. They've been saying, oh, no one takes it to Shane. No one has a go at Shane. You know, only Cam Waters is the guy that, you know, really takes it to Shane. And here is Anton Di Pasquale, a, a very quietly spoken young man, having a dig from way too far back. Nothing tried, nothing gained, nothing ventured. And, you know, they still finished first and second and gave the crowd and took the sport a, a great talking point for now the next couple of weeks until we get to the bend because who knows, the first corner is a massive long straight and it could be a die bomb into the first corner again and we could have the same thing again, which is going to be fantastic. And I think for DJR, Silver Power Racing, they had a, a good weekend where they really took it to Shane uh, pace-wise, which has been something they haven't really been able to do this season so far. Yeah, the, the thing I liked about it, Shebex, was that I, the methodology that race control has introduced in that probably knew assuming that Shane didn't end up in a fence and out of the race, it was yeah. going to be a five second penalty for Anton. So he had the confidence to make that move and have that dive despite the fact that it was very unlikely he was going to pull it off and very likely he was going to be penalized. So I think what's good about supercars at the moment is they know going into combat that the likely outcomes of what the penalty is going to be. And, and they're very much, let them race boys kind of approach that Beardo and James Taylor are taking up there in race control. So I think that encouraged it because there was no way that it was never going to win the race. It was extremely unlikely. So it was, that move was always going to end in a crash or Shane being turned around and Anton getting a penalty. So, but I think it's, it was the right outcome. No one will disagree that it was, worth a five-second penalty because he absolutely turned him around. But mm. they ended up finishing first and second the same way they came out of turn 12. Who cares? But what supercars get is a video that will probably do a million views on YouTube and Facebook, and everyone will talk about it, like Tom said. And it's probably the tonic the championship needed after a bit of 
it's got a little bit of a lame duck year feeling about it in the way that Shane's disappearing off up the road in front. We're all waiting for the new car next year. What's the talking point? What's the thing that we really need to get fired up about? Well, there it was. Thanks, yeah. Anton. That's a discussion point for the next couple of weeks, which that, that's the element that I really like out of it. My wife's attitude towards motor racing, I found out on the weekend, is very much similar to how she takes her attitude to our marriage. What the hell are you talking about, Tony? Because I was, we were watching it together and I'm yelling out, oh, he's hit him. He's hit him. That's amazing. And she's looking at me thinking, what the hell are you on about? And then when Shane didn't redress and tucked in behind Anton and I'm going, oh, how clever is that a shame because he wants Anton to get a bigger penalty. If he redresses, Anton just finishes second. But mm. Anton could finish 20th here, depending mm. on what they do. And she's still looking at me going, you are fanning them stupid, mate. What are you talking about? But it was, it was <laughs> an exciting thing. I'm glad the lovely Roe was watching, though. It's another set of eyeballs on the Supercars Championship. I did try to explain to her five times, and she still couldn't get the redress system. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's my fault or whether that's the rules. But That's why it's not in the rules. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a thing. Uh, That's good. I like it. Nice to know what the casual uh, casual audience feel about the – about the whole thing. No, it was good. It was it was what the weekend needed. I thought it was yeah. excellent. Was Shane serious though when he said after that he thought Anton would get a, a larger penalty, that's why he didn't redress? Oh, probably not. No. But I think they both knew exactly what they were yeah. going to get and how it was going to play out. But he just plays the game. That's why yeah, Shane's good. so good. He just That's why he slowed up and didn't blaze past Anton because he wanted him to get a penalty. So fantastic. It was just added to the theatrics, as Mark said. Yeah. It would, it how actually, funny it would have been if you just like parked on the stuff and you should have like they're both side by side not going over the finish line and Ken Water just, just blazes past through a winter. to win the race. It would that would have been the like, best thing that ever happened. That some wacky so racer stuff right there. Yeah. 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 It was quite funny because it was only a few minutes before that that I posted. I love it when Cam Waters and Chas Mossad are next to each other. You oh. know something's mm. gonna happen. And then literally two minutes later, Richard texts back on our group. Forget those two. Yes. What about these two? Yeah. But uh, the, just those few laps before that, I, I had no idea what was going to happen with Chaz and Waters. That that could have been anything as well. Well, I'll admit to on a group chat, I was keeping friend of the show, Greg Rust, up to date. He was out with his kids shopping, so he wasn't able to watch. So uh, I was firing a few updates at Rusty, and with about five to go, I said, mate, you're not missing a huge amount. You know, barring an airstrike, Shane's going to win this thing. You know, airstrike. That, yep. That's about how it worked. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> I said, whoa, hold up. Uh, Shane won, but here's what happened. So it's a good yeah. ground strike. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was. it was, wasn't it? <laughs> no, uh, I'll tell you cool. what, an- another ground strike too was from Will. Gee whiz, what a fantastic run from him in that second. I know he had tyres to do it with, but you still got to do it. Will Davison? Yeah. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, it was a, a bit of a setback, wasn't it, really early in that race on Sunday? But to come back to seventh was good. But just he, he was so good on the weekend. Um, his one lap pace was awesome, like it's been for the last couple of rounds. And, you know, there's still rumours floating around about his future with that team. But I just can't see at the moment how he doesn't continue on based on the fact that he's third in the championship. He's not that far behind Anton from a points point of view. And, He's continuing to deliver some really strong results in what's a very strong two-car DJR team. Isn't it an improvement if you take Will Davison out and replace him with somebody else? And my argument at the moment would be absolutely not. Well, he's got to have the best qualifying average of anybody this year, surely. Like, he's got to be the best qualifier. Um, and he was extremely angry on Sunday afternoon. Yes. Like, I haven't seen him that mad for a while. Like, you know, he was... 
his pace was fantastic. And I think if he got through turn four, or turn three, sorry, I think we're all pretty much holding our breath when we saw Scott Pye next to him because we didn't think it was going to work out. Mm. And obviously it didn't. So, yeah, I think he had the pace to win that race for sure, or at least push those two very, very close. So, you know, some of those laps he was putting in, the drive that he put in with from basically last to the seventh with no safety car to help him catch up, um, it was a pretty good effort. How frustrating is old Team 18? Mm. You know, they just, they finally get themselves in a decent position and it, and it unravels for them once again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie was interviewed, I think, by, uh, it might have been by Rihanna there at some stage during the race and he had all smiles and everything, but you could just tell there's frustration aplenty under there. Yeah. Like, he's just got to be better though, don't you, mate? Like he, he was fifth on Saturday, Scott Pye, and then mm-hmm. he just needs to get around that lap and not crash. He's been involved in so many accidents. He would he could have finished fifth again. It would have been such a great result for the team. But well, look at his last five races. Sixth, retirement did not start. Darwin, fifth, DNF lap one while running fourth. Mm. So he's actually been pretty competitive, but it's just not converting at the moment. And then Mark Winterbottom, more power steering issues. Like yeah. how many times can you rebuild a power steering system and still have dramas? And that team has just been, they've had power steering issues for as long as that team has existed on that car. And outside of that, the last six races, he's five of them in the top 10, except for the one with the power steering issues. Yeah. So they're actually quite competitive as a team at the moment, but they're just not getting the results. Um, What about results though? Like Cam Waters. So he's gone first, second, first, seventh, first, third, 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 since the start of Winton. And we were bashing on for so long about we wanted to see the consistency in that team. And all of a sudden now he's third in the championship and only 50-odd points behind Anton Di Pasquale. So car six, looking great. Rest of Tickford fairly all over the shop. But all of a sudden Waters is a legitimate factor every race once again, Mm. like we've been longing to see from a, a holistic sport sort of point of view. It's been really, really impressive. Hmm. Yep, yeah, very much. Glad everyone agrees. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no, totally. totally. Yep. But, but JC was pretty quick there on Sunday afternoon, come three for four. Yeah, he was. That was confident. And, but then that came back to Chaz fading late. Both the races was in yeah. a decent position and it didn't carry through to 250 Ks. What is a shame is that the fight for second isn't the fight for the championship because there's 86 points now covering Anton, Cameron and Will. Uh, 1607 for Anton down to 1521 for Will Davo and then back to Chazzy on 1302. He's only just in front of Brock Feeney who had a pretty consistent weekend. So the Fiend all of a sudden on the cusp of a top five in the championship, which on a rookie season you'd say is more than a pass mark. It's uh, it's pretty spicy. There's a few little storylines to play out in those little battles, but the fight for second is huge. Shane, meanwhile, with 276, I think, is it? Points in front of uh, Anton, yeah. so basically a round up now, more than uh, more or less. I mean, some more winners and losers there. Reynolds nowhere in the weekend, 18th and 11th. That's not good enough for him. That's uh, outside mm. of the normal consistency that he had been producing, uh, sort of up till Darwin. Uh, Heimgartner was good again, fast yeah. on Friday, fourth and ninth for the weekend. Brad Jones still ticking boxes at a place that they have been good in the past. Uh, Erebus were nowhere on the weekend. They were. Mm. Lat anonymous, yes. The lat Tim yeah. Slade was good a couple of eights, so yep. he's back to form. You know, we asked the question, Where did their early season form go? But uh, now it seems to be back with a, a couple of top tens in 
you know, big points paying races. Premier would have to be happy with James Golding. Aside from getting launched at the start in the first race. <laughs> Are they happy with his haircut though? Oh, no, no one's happy no, no with no that haircut, that, mate. No. Seriously. That's, that is not good. Unacceptable. I mean, I can't, I've got no hair. I mean. Yeah, but at least I, you don't have a dodgy haircut. Like force majeure with you. <laughs> <laughs> but James has made a conscious decision to look like that. Yeah. He actually paid someone to do that. That's the amazing thing. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe that's what's happened no, there. Yeah, possibly. You're right. You're right. Uh, no, but overall, a, a, an interesting weekend and, uh, yeah, the cream rises to the top. A few other standouts. Jack LeBrock in the shootout. He was good. Nice. Good you performance. I think... Even Tom Randall in the shootout too. Yeah, I was going to say that next, yeah. I think with Jack, they had some underlying problems with that car dating back to Simmons' planes when he got mm. stuffed in the fence there. I think they've figured that out. And since they have, he's been reasonably close to the money. He's uh, been outperforming Todd Hazelwood a bit lately. He, Todd started the season so strongly, but uh, Jack has sort of come on stream a little bit there in these last few races with a couple of top tens. I'll tell you what I did like. We finally saw the difference, I think, probably for the first time since it's come out, of the super soft tyre compared to the other tyre. We really saw Tom Randall, especially at the start, get such a great lead and pull away from the field when everyone else was on the hards and then come right back to the field when he was on the hard compared to the super soft. So for the first time, I think, in the 12 months that it's been out or so, we've actually seen the massive difference of this tyre. Yeah, I mean, that was funny because, I mean, Tim Slade was one of the three guys who ran that on the Saturday and he sort of made the softs last probably a bit longer by the fact that he managed to drag that eighth place result out of it. But uh, obviously Thomas there wasn't able to get the hard tyres to work uh, to his satisfaction because he just uh, didn't quite get the result back there in 17th and almost a lap off the, off the leaders there because he was just about involved in that last corner shunt. Would it have been better, Tom, had the rather than the tire strategy being one like run your softs once and then so you got more hards than softs, it should have been the other way around. So lots of yes. super soft tires. So you run and then two one set of hards. Soft, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that that yeah. to me might have been a better outcome from a racing product point of view. Yeah, and I think it kind of like pigeonholed everybody on Sunday after they saw what happened to Slady where he just drove off with the distance and then he couldn't. Uh, the, the hard tie pace versus soft tie pace in the race meant that he went from being first by a mile to being eighth. And, um, mm. and obviously Tom Brown got lapped by starting on the soft tire, super soft on Sunday. So I I kind of hope that they could just do full super soft and make him just make him pain with the way that, that you need to make it last for the whole race. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen more super soft running, especially on that track because there is the degradation on that racetrack and you can mm. make up time in that middle sector with that power down section. So yeah, I think for next year, hopefully they, they don't use that hard tyre because I don't really like the hard tyre. I just don't know why we use it for still. I know maybe Bathurst is a different story, but anywhere else we shouldn't use it, in my opinion. Mm. Now, another of the things that got a good hot in the direct power rankings this week on the race talk was the TV package and just some little one percenters that uh, have sort of been implemented there over the weekend, which the fans noticed, which is pretty cool. Things like the, the, you know, the replays at the start have the live TV pictures there, have... The replay box come up so you know that you're looking at a replay. The uh, totem changed that around, the numbers there, so it's back to the old red and blue with yeah. just the numbers on it, just making it a little bit easier to watch. So it's uh, it's an evolving thing. And actually, I, I mean, I know it's your universe, Richard, but on the weekend I got to do a bit of a behind-the-scenes tour of 
the supercast production and it's incredible uh there will be a story on that in the race talk coming up soon but uh the effort that goes into making all that and you're probably a bit blase to it all because it's your weekly job but it is ridiculous the amount of people and how good those people are like just the people figuring out the replays Mm. there's four of them there and they are just so incredibly on top of what they're doing you know it's uh it's really interesting to see behind the curtain how they put these things together. Yeah, it is quite amazing. There's no doubt about it. Look forward to that story. It'll be mm. quite good. It will be quite good. Uh, other people who had better weekends, I thought Nick Percat was probably on a better weekend this weekend. Oh, except for qualifying. We qualified last on Sunday, yeah. Rex. So. Race package, though, I thought like he was last. better than he's had. Yeah, but last. Uh, the, the, it's He's like, it's a Daniel Ricciardo situation there. We all know he can do the job. Yep. But for whatever reason, he and the machinery aren't bonding, so he's nowhere. And they're in this continual vicious cycle of not being able to work it out. I, I just and, and he must sit back and look at what Andre Heimgart is doing in his car from last year, BJR, and Andre's been awesome. Uh, and go, oh, man, <laughs> how frustrating, because yeah. at least he could qualify that thing. I'm not sure I can read another story about Nick Perkett going forward four places on the grid. It's easy when you start last, right? Yes. He's, not yeah. starting, he's not starting 12th and going to first. He's starting from 26th or 27th and going to 13th. Like, mm. you know, he should be in front of those guys because he's driving one of the best cars on the grid, and he's a great driver. So mm. I don't really want to read stories like that anymore because I don't think that's – who he is. He's better but than then that. You, then you got Will Davison here, came from the fence and last to seven with a mildly stuffed race car. So, mm. Mm. Uh, Fabian Coulthard coming out uh, and wanting to continue a full time career in supercars in 2023. Is that going to happen? Where? Yeah, well, well that's it too. Where? Uh, yep. Uh, Premier? F uh, Premier's got some yeah. sense, maybe. Um, well, team eighteen. What, what what money does he have behind him to help fund a drive or help fund his seat? You know, he probably wouldn't want to do a drive for nothing. I mean, it depends on the team, what their budget is, and what their unique situations are. But uh, sort of this day and age, you probably need to be reasonably connected if you want to mm. forge yeah. your way back in there, don't you? And there's not many drives left, is there, really, with, with all seriousness. Drives for 2023, most of the drives are, are gone. There's not many left. I think yeah. he, he has done the right thing and get a really good deal with a really good team to do Bathurst and go and try and win Bathurst every year for the next five or six years. And uh, he might. And that would be an incredible outcome. And just continue to do some other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's yeah. been really competitive in the TCR, the TCR stuff this yeah. year. So, you know, if that can continue, then... Great. And there are other options out there. Like how many times have we seen drivers come out of supercar and go to Carrera Cup where you can sell some sponsorship or TCR, you know, and a high profile category like that with competition at a high level where you can go and make it work commercially for you and you can continue to race competitively in a, in a top level series. So look at David Wall has reinvented his career after five years in supercars by being unbelievably good at Carrera Cup. And uh, he's, he had another fantastic weekend. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a cool thing. And uh, also, rumours coming out, and I think they may be close to fact, that uh, WAU are moving out of their Clayton South factory. Really? The old uh, Holden Racing Team factory and uh, looking for new digs. So that's a, an end of history there. Totally, isn't it? 
Well, the other story was that, that popped up in the media this week about DJR looking for some equity partners perhaps mm. to get involved if the right person comes along to not just tip money into that team but some brain power and some... Archer Capital might be interested. Oh, I don't no. think they're going to be involved in our sport no. anymore. They shut that thing down anyway, didn't they? Yep. Yeah. Mm. That, that's why they had to get yeah. supercars. Yeah, correct. Uh, what else? Uh, cool to see Declan Fraser win a race and see how much it genuinely yeah. meant for him in Super 2. So... He, having announced the, the wild card with Craig Lowndes, he's doing everything he needs to do, isn't he, to prove that he's the right guy for that gig come October on the mountain. So I thought that was really good. Otherwise, Super 2 just went full Super 2 on the weekend, didn't it? It, it was like every other race this year when they weren't mm. shunting. They were having fantastic races. Mm. Yeah. Carrera Cup, uh, it was great to see Tony Quinn oh, come man. out of his incident. Uh, yeah, that was that okay. was pretty pretty scary. Shebex, no one oh, wants yeah. to see that. No. There there are, there were two of those, and unfortunately, I was in the box for both of them. So sorry. Um, where Mikey Arman had a brake failure yeah. in his Camaro in TCM as well, and, and whacked the back of Cam Tilly, and uh, unfortunately, that ruled Michael out of the final Career Cup race uh, in the afternoon too. He had a, a, a sore neck, and they wouldn't clear him. Um, yeah, Tony, Tony battered and bruised, and the, the family issued a, another statement as we record this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, just just with a brief update on his condition. Lots of well wishes. Still in hospital up in Townsville. I don't think he'll be moved for a little while yet, but um, he's he will come out of this, obviously, which is great news. So he's battered and bruised, but fundamentally all the systems did their job to make sure that it wasn't worse than that because it was a crash where you hit an immovable concrete block at 150 k's an hour. And that it's everyone's going to get battered up with that, no matter who yeah. you are. So we just hope Tony's all right. Um, we join the rest of the community. It, it, it'll be a real shame for him because the um, Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships and ARG Speed Series head to QR first weekend in August, and that was supposed to be the big sort of reopening of the circuit since he took hold of it first national level race meeting there in four years. It was going to be a huge thing and I, I know he would have been proud as punch to be there for it so he'll have to live that one vicariously through everyone else but um yeah we all wish tony the best for sure we certainly do anything else we need to wrap up from townsville no oh, townsville so, memories uh let's go to austria then yeah grand prix quite an good interesting race. race as well yeah another good, good grand race. prix and um charles leclerc gets another one so Bit of uh, redemption, you think, for him after what went on at Silverstone. He was a pretty grumpy boy seven days earlier, but that was a really measured, nice drive and um, at basically the second Dutch GP to beat Verstappen, and um, that's what the World Championship needed. Well, there are a lot of McLaren fans there with all that orange smoke. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it was Ricardo who posted uh, a little tongue-in-cheek Instagram photo of uh, thanks to all the Team Papaya fans in the grandstands this weekend, really enjoying it. They picked but a see, good time to go back to Orange, didn't they? 60,000 fans he had there, they reckon, yeah. for Stappen. That's just crazy. It was good to see a, a bit of a four-wheel Ford race break out for the second week in a row. Mm. Yeah, 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 we were in the midst of after-partying watching that on the mobile phone, and it was it was cool race. There, good, Lots of good stuff going on there. And, you know, Leclerc had to pass Verstappen three times to win that race on strategy. So one on pace and the other two with the, the pit stop. Pit stop strategy, so I like that. It was uh, it was good. Formula One building nicely as they uh, 
continue on this middle season stretch before the summer break on all these classic European circuits? You know, you go back to the Australian Grand Prix. Oh, Leclerc's got this season wrapped up. And since then, it's just been slim pickings, hasn't it? Oh, but, been max, yeah. you know, to, to come into the halfway point where we're at now and back on top, that's pretty big. Although your mate Carlos Sainz, that was some hand grenade right there. Wasn't well, it? it's just Ferrari going full Ferrari, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> but they got the strategy right for once. Yeah, they did. Oh, they, they, they got the strategy right, but the other car. have everything. You yeah, can't have everything. That was a pretty good blow up too, yeah, wasn't it? Decent. It's Italian, mate. Only one yeah. thing works at a time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we give some love to Mick Schumacher? Like, yes. Come yes. on, Mick. Like, obviously, I think a lot of us have a soft spot for him from his uh, from his father. And then on Saturday after qualifying, he had the look in his eyes like his dad, which is one well, of the. He, he did I was, turn into I his dad. Like, oh, I like this. This is good. This is what we want to yeah. see from young Mick. But they delivered the day after and finished sixth, oh, best ever F one result. Yeah. Isn't Haas F1 just a lot more likable this year? Yes. Can you yes, put your so finger much. on it? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what. Not sure, know what's changed. Not yeah. sure, mate. Need to watch Drive to Survive to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good uh, of Mick to turn into Michael there for an hour or so after the race. That was oh, um, Lewis, three third places in a row. Are the Mercedes just about there? Are they going to come through sometime here in these oh. next few races? They're still not competitive, really, are they? Like... They're never going to win a race on speed, but you finish third when Ferrari go full Ferrari um, or Leclerc takes out Max, which feels like it's building to a point where they're going to have a shunt at some point. Um, yeah, you got to be in that position to, to do it. And what he's done is reasserted himself over George Russell, who was so good for the first eight or nine races. And all of a sudden, Lewis has sort of swept that switched that storybook around, which is really cool. So proving he's still uh, very much one of the goats, which I like. And no mechanical problems for Mercedes yet. Yeah. Only one yeah. team has pretty much finished every race without having a, a blow-up. And that, that could be the difference because the way this season's gone, there's going to be one of those insane races like Hungary last year where it all tees off, things go crazy, the big guns fall, and they could be in an absolutely ideal position to, to benefit from Ferrari and Red Bull having a, a really tough race. It'll probably be um, Zandvoort where, you know, Australia Orange Rocket enters the circuit and just... Oh. Decimates a field. Yeah. Air if there's going to be a race, we've seen races red flagged or suspended or not started for fog. But I reckon at the Netherlands, it'll be the the orange smoke stuff. Like yeah. even in Austria, it was ridiculous how thick that stuff was. So you get a really still day there at Zandvoort, which is by the beach, really happens. But they, like the race could actually be delayed just by all the Dutchies with the fireworks and all that. There could be ridiculous. The old flares, eh? Nothing yeah, better good. than an old flare. Didn't they get banned in? They were banned in football, wasn't it? Only because they're local soccer expert. Yeah, can I yes. can I tell you what used to happen in soccer locally? Yeah, so people on, used to go during the week and dig holes under the fence and bury the flares under the fence. So when they came into the ground, they would dig up the hole on the other side of the fence, pull out the flares, and that's how they got them in. Or they'd have players bring them in for them. Because the players' bags never got checked. Yeah. And then as the players went out to have a look at the ground pre-game, they'd just hand over the flares to the That's that, dodgy that, stuff. That, that all has happened. your fingerprints all over it, Shebex. Totally, totally does. And that's got the old days at Bathurst with the booze bands and everyone would go up there yes. a month before and bury the esky and yes, the cartons correct. of beer up there. And that conversation's dedicated to everyone who says we rubbish soccer too much on this program. 
Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately for Bathurst, that brought out the rule that you can only have one slab per day per person, which is well, just yeah, not enough. Everyone's rolling up to the gate with an esky full of ice. What, what do you need that for? Just <laughs> enjoy ice. <laughs> Uh, look forward to Canada this weekend for the IndyCars. Yeah, Toronto. Uh, we heard from Scotty on the show last week talking about that. So another brand new track for him. So probably goes in a little bit um, behind the eight ball compared to some of his rivals. But at the same time, IndyCar hasn't been there for a couple of years on account of um, Canada actually having COVID policies, unlike the US for the last year or two. So uh, cool to see them back there. Exhibition Place, one of the iconic circuits on the IndyCar calendar, one of the real traditional circuits dating back to the cart and champ car days. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Always a cool race, always pretty action-packed with that big stop around the back on uh, Lakeshore Drive. So I think Scott will be quick. I don't think there's any doubt. But the, what I'm following is Will Power, who is just mm. building a championship Scott Dixon style style. And when Scott Dixon builds championships, he tends to win most of them. So um, it's it's been a very non-willpower season, but I love it. And I would it would just be so cool to see him win the championship this year and get a second IndyCar crown because I, I think he deserves it. And his career has been so good, it deserves more than just one championship and one Indy 500 on it. I say just, it's more than most people ever get in their lives. But um, yeah, we'll see what uh, DJ Willie P can do over the course of the weekend for Team Penske. Yeah, no, fair enough too. I think that's it, boys. Power rankings time, Shebex. Oh, yes. So we introduced this last week, and we're going to do this uh, on at the end of every podcast where we give our one hot and our one not from the weekend's racing. Richard, would you like to start us off? We're going to start with knots, as we always do. And those of you that listen to the show and also know my work will know that I... Uh, I'm something of an enthusiast when it comes to Porsche racing and uh, have some involvement in the commentary side of that. So my knot this week is fairly self-apparent to anyone who watched Carrera Cup or followed it over the weekend. My knot is Motorsport Australia standing circuit regulation 5.12.7, which says that to be classified as a finisher and automobile automobile must blah 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 complete its last lap in less than twice of the winner's fastest lap time what it doesn't do is say what happens if the race finishes under safety car and the strict interpretation of the rule is that if you don't complete the final lap in less than double the time of the winner's fastest lap you get excluded which frankly ridiculously happened to three drivers Luke Yulden, Jackson Walls, Callum Hedge, at the end of race one, which finished behind the safety car following Tony Quinn's massive crash. It is ridiculous that these regulations still exist and then that they get enforced like that because it just looks stupid. There was no way that those drivers could have gone any faster. They were behind the safety car. So it's just another element of our sport overcomplicating itself and making it so confusing. Now, in the end, the right result was reached. It took a heap of protests to do it, but the stewards met at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, and the result was overturned because it was force majeure. It had to be. Common sense prevailed. My argument is that common sense shouldn't have taken 12 hours to prevail and lots of angst and lots of head scratching and lots of people going, what on earth happened? It should have just been a call going, well, they finished behind safety car. Clearly that rule doesn't apply. So simplify motorsport, not make the rules better so you don't get moments like that. 
How many times has that exact situation happened in the history of motorsport and it not been an issue? Exactly. Okay. You're not, Mark? Next. It's a solid rant, Richard. A solid rant. Mm. It grinds my gears. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, James Golding's haircut's already been mentioned, so I'll I'll let that slide. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to lock in not the poor AU Falcon. Mm. But it's had a tough life being an AU Falcon in the first instance, but uh, found the fence twice in, in qualifying. There was Shane Bikoff and yeah, they're a small privateer effort and they pour everything into getting up to the, to the big meets. And unfortunately it just, uh, it didn't come together for them on the day. And that's a crowd favorite people. It's, it's taken about 23 years for the AU Falcon to become popular, but it suddenly is very, very popular. And, you just have to listen to how crestful and our friend of the show, Chad Nalon was in commentary. I mean, mm. the pure emotion from the heart mm. having to commentate that things limping back to the pits on Sunday. It was, uh, it was uh, a hard task for young Chad, but, um, and even harder for the, the bike off racing guys to uh, be sitting out the races and no doubt they'll bounce back, fix it up and go again later on in the year. Tom. Uh, my not is not from Supercars or Australia. It is from the world of motorsport, and it is sausage curbs. Oh, oh, oh yeah. so right. <laughs> probably have all seen that crash in the World Endurance Championship where old mate was spinning backwards and got flipped through the air on his roof. Monza is a very bad place for sausage curbs. Alex mm-hmm. Baroni almost landed on his head a couple of years ago. We saw sausage curb action at Silverstone where it through close through the air into other guys on the racetrack in F2. Why do we have them? Track limits at Austria for the F1. If you had sausage curbs, you'd be flying through the air everywhere. Like they mm. have them at some parts, but not everywhere. So get rid of them. They're totally unsafe. It's probably the most unsafest thing about motorsport in the world right now is sausage curbs. And to show, we can't show this because it's a podcast, but to show how seriously Tom is taking this, Shebex, he's literally got a stress ball in his hand yep. while he's telling us this. Correct. It just makes him so fired up. No, I love that. We love Italian sausage. Don't get us wrong. True. But Italian sausage curbs just should never be. Wow. What's your not, Shebex? Uh, my not, you, <laughs> you brought it up a little bit earlier, and it's the uh, – the use of tyres in supercars okay. at the moment, they still haven't got that right. We want to see great, competitive, close, fast racing. And if that means you give everyone, as you said, an extra set of soft for, that, for the racing, if you give them just all soft, so whatever it might be, hards aren't going to give you competitive racing because they're made to last. Let's get the tyre out there. Let's get degradating tyres, especially when you've got a tyre that lasts 26 laps in an 80-lap race. And let's get some action happening there. So that was my not, was that I could have thought that there could have been better use of the super softs at Townsville from what we saw. Cool. Hots. No, I agree with that. Hots. Um, I was going to go with uh, dining out with Chad Nalon (laughs) because uh, we battled to get a table on Sunday night and Chad would not take no for an answer. And uh, ultimately got us a table and we he, were able he to... He didn't use that. the line of, do you know who I am? No, no, he no. didn't. Okay. He cool. is just absolutely dogged. Um, so if, if you ever have the opportunity to dine with Chad, or if you're just randomly looking for a table and Chad is in the same restaurant, get him on the case because he will make things happen. No, what I'm going to... I'm going to have another Porsche one because um, I'm just so impressed with the depth of young talent currently in the Porsche system. And... We've, we've talked about it for a while and we've talked about how they've got the ladder right. So drivers coming up through Sprint Challenge into Carrera Cup and then Super Cup and onwards and away we go. But 
My goodness, there's some superstars floating around at the moment. There's a couple of really good young guys in Sprint Challenge and girls. Courtney Prince on the podium last time out. But Carrera Cup, four different round winners from four rounds so far this year. It is fiercely, almost violently competitive at the front of that field. And we saw Jackson Walls, young Callum Hedge at the front of the field, who hadn't been there this year, but had had the pace to do so. The list goes on and on and on, and the competition is great. So there have been times when on this show we've discussed, oh, where's the next star coming from? Where where are all the young superstars in our sport? But right now, not just in Carrera Cup, but across the board, but with a focus in this little segment on Carrera Cup, there's so much young talent depth around with really good, fast young guys and girls that give us, I think, great hope for the future of our sport and the next generation of superstars. So I'm just continually impressed by these young guys um, who are punching on through their junior careers. Cool. Mark? Uh, hot. Clearly Italian sausage is hot. <laughs> yep. Um, That's mine, please. Oh, sorry. I'll let you have that one. Uh, I'm just going to go with the Townsville event. I think it sort of needed a bit of a reset over the last couple of years. You mm. know, 2019, it felt flat. It, the attendance wasn't great. The weather was garbage. It just... Ugh. Didn't feel very good, but on the weekend, the vibe was great. Um, you know, obviously, the COVID of things uh, took its toll on people getting to the track from interstate and the hospitality, uh, except for those who um, had Chad Nail on in their side scouting tables. Uh, I mean, clearly. you were there as well, so don't. Yeah, no, no, just it, was, it was great. It was great to see a great man and play. But uh, yeah, just the just the whole event. It just needed a bit of a reset. You know, we saw it at the Australian Grand Prix this year with a record attendance. These mm. big key events. I can't wait to see what Adelaide's going to turn on God. because I think, I think, uh, you know, a bit of the distance is going to make the the heart grow fonder there, and there'll be a few more people lob up to that event. Uh, obviously, the 2020 edition had a bit of COVID about it, but. Uh, you know, a fresh start for Adelaide. I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. And then rolling forward to that when we get back to Newcastle. Oh, and, and Gold Coast before that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Tom? Uh, I'm going to go for the top 10 shootout on Saturday. Mm. Mm. Three cars in the 13 threes, yep. all within three thousandths, hundredths of a second. That was yeah, one of the yeah. best shootouts I've seen for the top three in a long time. It was close. Everything was on the limit, and there were three amazing laps. And to have three different cars from three different, sorry, two different cars, three different teams that close in a shootout, make it much better than that. Uh, that's a contentious one because there's a lot of people that believe the shootout should only be for Bathurst, and that's it. Oh, I just thought it was a great shootout. I don't. I, I think. Yeah. We sh- I think the same. To be honest, Rebecca, we should only have a shootout at Bathurst because I thought the qualifying session on Sunday morning, actually, when they had two runs at it, was better than the um, the shootout itself because it was all rubbish on the track on Sunday and it wasn't really a shootout. Mm. So I thought the qualifying on Sunday was way better than that. But um, yeah, I mean, with these shootouts, but I thought from a, a theatre point of view, to have three the top guys in the championships in this end of the series going at it and being within that time frame, we haven't seen that for a, quite a long time. Totally no, true. Uh, my hot is you, the people out there. You make sport. There is no doubt that in the two years that we watched motor racing and every other sport where there were no crowds, it was as boring as batshit. I think I could say <laughs> that on this program. Yeah, sure. Crowds make sport. Crowds in Townsville were, were fantastic. 
Crowds at the Formula One Grand Prix, amazing. Crowds at the footy over the last couple of weeks have been just spectacular. I'm going to go, I'm doing the ground announcing at the MCG for the Manchester United Games against Melbourne Victory and Crystal Palace. And I know that the crowd's there and the, the music and all that that they'll be singing will just be amazing. So crowds make sport. Thank you to everyone out there for attending motor racing, attending sport, and just making it what it needs to be. Oh, you got a very, very jealous Tom Archerly there, Shebexter. He's going to... Shebex, can we... Like, I get we, paid for it too. Are we, uh, are we going to start our little offshoot football podcast? <laughs> we can if you want. I'm because more than happy on the to. pitch... Like, you know, these two are just going to add, oh, they'll just throw bloody flares and stuff at him. Oh, I didn't kick him hard enough or he's on the ground a bit or, you know, or launch the air air attack when the ball's down in the air for a header. I think Mark let's, uh, let's talk, Tom. I think we can Mark get something up. We'll sit that up. We'll sit that out, I think. <laughs> I like it, Chebex. You're right. And British Grand Prix. Like, how you, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, you know, F1 had fake crowd noise at Bahrain, but they didn't need it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah agree no, with amazing. Agree with uh, Good stuff. Guys, thank you. Always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. We will. Absolutely. Right here. Thank you for joining us as well on The Grid.